So, Gurmash, do you have any update today, or should we just go to the questions? Well, just briefly, I'm on my way to Madhavan, halfway there, or partway there. And uh, unfortunately, I forgot my tea lock. I feel a little naked here. <laughs> um, so, uh, hopefully, they'll have some for me there when I arrive, and I'll be safe again. <clears throat> Otherwise, all good, and uh, I'm happy to take the questions. Okay, let's start with uh, hmm. let's start with Gayatri's question. <clears throat> she says, "Krishna has his divine ongoing lila, and he appears to us in different forms to help us understand his divine nature. Krishna is the creator of the whole material manifestation. He's the Lord over everything, including the spiritual world, and his eternal consorts are expansions of him for his own pleasure." But how did Krishna come to exist? Did he appear from nothing? Is there something beyond Krishna? If not, what does that even look like? This feels incomprehensible to my, to my mind. How do I wrap my head around this? Can I even understand? Or is it a matter of faith and surrender? How in that case do I develop that faith? Feeling overwhelmed by this thought. Yours in service, Gayatri Dasi. Well, I think that, uh, first of all, theological questions arise in the human mind and present, uh, doubts at times. And they have to be looked at in relation to the larger picture as to the case for um, the existence of God. For example, if there is no God, if, which would mean there is no supernatural, which means there's only the natural world, which um, involves only physical forces and so forth, then there's no meaning to life. There's no purpose to life. There's no right action or wrong action. Morality is not ontologically grounded. It's just a human construct. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a very disconcerting uh, sense of the meaning of life it's kind of a no meaning is the meaning. There's no meaning to life. There's no purpose. We're very purpose driven as human beings. In human life, you know, we find the, the, the question why. I often say we, we are the question why. Why am I? It's not a question that arises in the less complex forms of life, but in human life it does. Why am I? What is my purpose? Um, what is the meaning? We're like wired for this. Um, and so that the implications of an atheistic perspective are quite disconcerting for um, human society. Now, some people live with it and so forth, but I don't think that they, they play out the, the implications. And, um, and there's a lot, not a lot of meaning to the no meaning meaning. Uh, so, 
I'm just giving an example. It could go on and on and on, but the theistic argument is considerable. It's not just like, uh, well, it's not like, well, you know, have you ever seen Santa Claus? Do you believe in the tooth fairy? Have you ever seen God? What, you know, why should you believe in God? These are simplistic, um, arguments that arise. People attach themselves to that are um, evidence that they are really unacquainted with a long, long human history of theology. So, questions like this have to be looked at in lay of the whole picture. In other words, well, if 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 the God is the source of everything, who is the source of God? This is basically the question, right? And it's making my mind, you know, uh, disturbed and my faith is disturbed. Um, so before we answer the question, which I will try to do, but it may not be to the satisfaction of every mind or every intellect. Hmm? Um, um, it's 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 useful as I'm doing to try to look at the larger picture, and when some things don't seem quite to fit, you don't pay that much attention to them. Some things can't be fully answered: the nature of existence, the nature of God, the nature of being, and so forth, is larger than our head. It's larger than our mind, larger than our intellect. Hmm? And so it's not going to answer to some of the questions that arise in our human intellect. And we have to look at the larger picture and thus put those questions that will satisfy the intellect of some, but not everyone. And some that will, some of the answers, some of these types of questions will satisfy my intellect, but not somebody else's. And it's just their problem. So you have to, relativize it uh, in that way and then not give it as much attention and and live with the idea that that the existence that I pursue is one that is larger than my own mind larger than my 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 intellect if all the problems of life and and life's entire purpose could be answered by intellect alone, you might think it would have been answered by now. <laughs> um, but the theistic argument is that it, that it can't ultimately. The theistic argument acknowledges that certain things are beyond the ken of the human mind and that they should be embraced based on faith. And that is good faith, um, not blind faith, faith based on things that we can see and do see. Um, and have been pointed out to us, for example, by sadhus, saintly persons, by scripture, and so on and so forth. But um, having said that, the question that you ask, again, is based on the fact that human experience is that every effect has a cause. Right? So the world is seems to be moving on the basis of cause and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect. 
So if we say that God, Krishna, is the um, cause of the world, of cause and effect, naturally the question arises, was the cause of Krishna? Mm-hmm. Right? Or what is the cause of God? But um, the fact that the world is appears to be driven by cause and effect does not mandate that its cause co- its cause is subject um, to is is an effect of another cause of another cause. And of course, the problem with the, the pursuit of this was the cause of God. You know, if you ask me, I, I'll tell you. You want? I, I'll give you. I'll give you an answer. But, but first, I'll give some uh, some philosophical. I'll give you a simple answer to, to hopefully satisfy you in the end. But uh, but uh, the philosophical arguments. Well, it, one of them. If if God is the cause of the world and we want to know the cause of God and we think that God must have a cause, our mind just drives us to say that, then, of course, if, if God has a cause, then what will be the cause of that cause? And, and you, what you end up is in what's called infinite regression. And the problem with logical uh, problem with infinite regression is if there was an infinite regression, you could never arrive at the present and you could never arrive at an end. Either. So it's a logical problem, and it's a problem that was dealt with in 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 Western uh, theology and philosophy, and it's also it's also dealt with in uh, Eastern philosophy and Indian philosophy and Hinduism and Vedanta. There's a phys- there's a Sanskrit word for it. I forget now. It starts with an A. I can't remember. Um, Avastan, I think. Uh, anyway, it, it means infinite regression. They recognize that this is a, um, a problem. Mm. Um, so, therefore, the implication is there has to be a finite cause or a, a cause that's not caused. Otherwise, we have infinite regression. That's a bigger problem. Mm. And so, when we talk about God, when we talk about Krishna, well, we're talking about that uh, cause that has no cause. That's what we're talking about. And what does it mean that something has no, you know, has no cause? Well, like, again, I said that the world seems to be moving on the basis of cause and effect, cause and effect. Um, but you could consider that the whole world of your experience and everyone's experience lies within consciousness. All of the world is the is is our experience, right? It's an experience. It's an experience. It all lies within consciousness. Now, do you ask what's the cause of consciousness? You are. That, that's, that's the bottom line. Consciousness is the bottom line. Consciousness is that in which everything is contained. 
you want to think of something beyond consciousness, well, it requires consciousness to do that. We can't get around it. So consciousness is, is the fundamental basics, basis of all uh, reality and existence. And God is of the nature of consciousness. Mm-hmm. All we're saying in our particular theistic tradition is that the consciousness that we are constituted of mm-hmm. has a shelter in, 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 in a, I want to say a, a larger or a reservoir of, of consciousness, which is God, which being the reservoir of consciousness is not subject to the problems that the spark of consciousness is just like the sun well is the source and the shelter of, of of all the sunlight but it's possible for rays of sunlight to be covered by the crowd cloud which is created by the sun by the evaporation of water and this the ray of the sun can appear to be separated from the sun source and be under the influence of the cloud and and so forth, but the sun is never never covered. So although we're consciousness, our the entirety of our nature and being, constitution and so forth, is obscured by the cloud of illusion that we're presently subject to, and we don't have any doubts that we're subject to illusion. <laughs> As to, as to what's out there and, and what I am entirely. We're getting help to figure these things out. And part of that help is, a, is a, a significant part of that help is a transrational methodology. Chanting is not irrational. It's not irrational, but it's, it's transrational. It can, it can deliver us, afford us experience of that which on the strength of our intellect alone, we could not have. So, um, so that said, these are some arguments for um, why Krishna doesn't have a cause, which is this very statement of the scripture, Sarva Karana Karana, the cause of all causes. So there's a logical argument, philosophical argument that can be made, which I have in brief, as to why there has to be a, a final cause that's not caused, an uncaused cause. Now, that said, the simpler, much simpler answer to your question is that if Krishna is the cause of everything, what is the cause of Krishna? And the answer is Radha. And then if you ask, well, what is the cause of Radha? The answer is Krishna. Very simple. And that's a, that's a theological uh, truth of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. In other words, without Radha, who is the fullest expression of Krishna's internal shakti, Brahman, the absolute, would not be variegated, would not be differentiated, would not have a form, a personality. Hmm? The love that Radha embodies hmm, has an object, which is Krishna. The two are interdependent upon one another. Hmm? So without Radha, without the love of Krishna, there won't be Krishna. And without Krishna, there won't be Radha. So my answer is correct. 
cause of Krishna is Radharani, source of the source of, and the source of Radha is Krishna. This is a chinti beta beta. I hope that helps. Yes, thank you so much, Kumarash. I appreciate that answer. Don't worry about it. It's the bigger is the first part of my answer. Okay. <laughs> so it's good, Gayatri. It's good that some things don't answer entirely to the mind and the intellect. They are not the final arbitrator of everything. If that was the case, the world would be very un- reality would be very uncomfortable. Okay. Very much. Can I make a follow-up point? Yes, you can. Um, so even from the scientific point of view, this idea that there has to be a cause and effect is like kind of like an old school way of seeing the material existence. Because like when Einstein came up with his theory of special relativity, it actually is saying that time is not linear. And then based on that special relativity, there's all these like totally credible scientific ideas right now that time, everything exists, the past, present, future exists at the same time. There's this thing called the box universe theory. And it's basically, that's what it's saying. So if everything exists, like past, present, future, all exists at the same time, then there is no, you know, you don't need like the the original cause. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So even logically speaking, it's possible to think that there, you don't need that chain of cause and effect in the way that's been thought about like traditionally anyway just very thought. good very good very good but uh, maybe Gayatri if you want you could google box universe theory and you will see how mind-bending it can be even in the scientific world anyway next question uh so this one is from Krishna Karnam and just a little uh, background information, Krishna Karnam and his wife have a publishing company. They are working on Guru Maharaj's, uh Gita, uh, like a um, Polish translation of the Gita. And so this question is related to Guru Maharaj's edition of the Gita. Krishna Karnam says, Dandavat dear Guru Maharaj, I have a question regarding your comment on Bhagavad Gita verse 18.65. Quoting Jiva Goswami, you write that, quote, while in chapter 9, Krishna spoke of his devotees' love for him, here he speaks more of his love for his devotees, end quote. When you comment on it, you write, quote, not only does Krishna want Arjuna to know his love for him, he also wants him to believe that in spite of everything he has said, one can attain perfection by simply accepting his love. After all, that after all that Krishna has said about spiritual practice and attainment, this may seem hard to believe. Thus, Krishna feels compa- compelled to make a solemn promise. At this point, all of his other instructions are superseded, end quote. So then Krishna Karma continues, if this is the final instruction, what exactly did you mean when you wrote that, quote, one can achieve perfection by simply accepting his love, end quote? It seems that this can be misunderstood, like many Christians who say that the most important thing is that God or Jesus loves us and we only need to believe in it and that practice and all rules are not that important. Unlike them, as devotees of Krishna, first of all, we try to love him and therefore we make efforts in our sadhana. It seems that this statement, if misunderstood, 
can undermine the sense of making such efforts and one's determination in sadhana. Thank you. Yeah, there's a, what's the term for that? The monkey school and the cat school? No, in Christianity, there's a term, anti, I can't remember now, um, the idea that, well, just accept God's mercy and I can't do anything, whatever, um, and I'll be saved, right? Uh, I can't, can't recall now, I'm sorry. But it, yeah, it takes the, um, the wind out of the um, emphasis that is placed on, on sadhana and effort. And um, I think that uh, it's clear in our theology that there are two um, two uh, two aspects of our you know, basic core approach to God, effort and mercy. You have to have mercy, you have to make effort. Um, so the question is, with, if there's an emphasis on the mercy and the fact that, that, that the, gener- the generosity of Krishna, the loving nature of Krishna, and so on and so forth, uh, is, is, if this is emphasized too much, then as I understand the question, the need for effort may be lost in that antinomianism, I think is the, is the term. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and Gurnishta brought up the cat and the monkey. This is a, two schools of Ramanuja. One school is that uh, the, the cat carries the kitten by picking the kitten up on the back of the neck. And the kitten just hangs there. And the monkey, by contrast, carries her young, but they have to hold on. So in the case of the monkey, the mother is carrying, that's the mercy, and the holding on is the effort. In the cat school, the cat's just being picked up. That's it. Your efforts don't... Now, I I, I, I can't imagine that, that that school of Ramanuja doesn't have some Emphasis on practice and so on and so forth. But the, uh, at least in an overriding sense, the emphasis is on, on, on grace. I, uh, so anyway, it's clear in our school that both are required, but sometimes it's, um, we, we do place, and this is an instance of that from the Gita. Um, emphasis on the on the gracious gracious nature of Krishna. I like to cite Uddhava, as I often have, who was the you know the, who would be more learned. He was the, the the advisor of Krishna in Dwarka, and he said, "Who in the right mind would take shelter of anyone other than Krishna, who gave Vatsalya Bhakti to um, Putana?" So it's a pretty big contrast there, right? What was her effort? Her effort was not only no effort, it was a contrary effort. She made an effort to make offenses and Krishna delivered her. So there is a place for making this emphasis on Krishna's nature. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there are examples of him uh, conducting himself, if you will, in this way, such that one can become delivered without any effort. So there's a place for making that, but the given the overall theology and philosophy of Gaudi Vaishnavism, it's clear that those when those emphases are made, um, that the purpose of them, on, 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 on one hand, is to uh, cause the sadhaka to be inspired to think that much more mm, um, how uh, important it is for me to make an effort, how I should be responding to the gracious nature of Krishna. Uh, it's, it's kind of related to these ideas. You hear, well, if you just do this, if you chant in your sleep, you know, you can become liberated. So the, the, the teaching isn't, hey, that's pretty cool. I think I'll just chant in my sleep then. Hmm? Um, no, the teaching is, if by chanting in my sleep, it's possible I could become liberated, then what to speak if I chant when I'm awake and I actually pay attention and I have to give my, actually give myself. Those kind of statements are meant to cause us to respond in that way, and it's similar here in this case, I believe. We can't dismiss the fact that, that Krishna gives gives uh, bhava to some just out of mercy. He has that power. He is he is that merciful. He doesn't do it all the time. In all instances, mercy is an overriding of 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 justice, so justice is there. So when we hear about or when there's an emphasis on this side of Krishna, if we look at the entirety of the philosophy, we will not react in a way that is counterproductive, that is to say, by reacting and through 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 the thinking that you're you're uh underscoring. Well I guess I don't have to make any effort. Um uh, Krishna will, will save me if he, if, he, if he wants to save me, something like that. No, the reaction should be the um, opposite of that, and it should give me impetus to make some effort. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way uh, to look at it. If you look at the whole teaching, so you don't want to just take something out of context, and at the same time, we cannot deny the fact that Krishna is like that. I mean, again, Putin is an extraordinary example. Uh, she wasn't even making, she was making a counter effort. <laughs> and then what did she get? A kind of Vatsalya Bhakti somewhere in the out, not in Braj, but in the outskirts of the, of the lotus of, of, uh, of, of the loka, right? So I hope that helps. Uh, I haven't uh, looked at that in a while. I, I want to look at the Bhagavad Gita again. The Bhagavad Gita, the birth of the Bhagavad Gita is coming up. I saw it on Calvary Friday. So I'll, I'll probably take a look at the Gita and talk about the Gita on that day in, in Madhavan. Maybe I'll uh, look at that uh, section. And um, if I draw further inspiration, I'll comment further on it. But I hope what I've said has been helpful. Thank you very much. There is a follow-up on this one from Sajan. And I think, excuse me, I think 
I, I guess Christianity, you know, some schools did the same thing because, you know, Christ died on the cross. Everyone's to save everyone. He made the sacrifice. So you can't deny that in Christianity. But then that doesn't mean that you should philosophize or theologize. Therefore, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. Uh, I'm, I'm saved. He did it. I can do whatever I want. Some crazy Protestant schools have gone, you know, that far. I've, I've met a couple guys like that, and, and you know, they can't be taken taken seriously. So, but you can't deny the fact, at least from Christian theology, that when Christ died forever, He made the sacrifice. Right? He did it. Now you have to believe in Him. But then, what does it mean to believe in Him? To believe in Him, then you follow Him, and so on and so forth. Okay, I'm sorry, Sajjan, go ahead. Oh, thank you, Maharaj Dundavats. Um, in relation to what you just so wonderfully shared, I think it's, it's a, it's an extremely important point to highlight, uh, what you mentioned about, um, in, in our particular approach, uh, spiritually, that, um, it's both the, a combination of the cat and the monkey, school of Ramanuja, so to speak. And um, indeed, uh, Srila Sridhar Maharaj himself was asked about this point, and he also said it's it's actually a combination of both in our, in the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition, like that. And I think it, the, the reason it's so valuable to kind of underscore this point is because it, it's clearly observable that the tendency of the uh the human mind uh is to is to uh kind of ask the question is it this way or is it that way is it one or the other you know and, and i think there's there's a lot of value in in um in bringing out the point that um that achinta beta beta tattva it just it naturally means both and not one or the other but both and like that, and uh, there's, I think, also a, a little more emphasis could perhaps be placed in, in our own kind of uh, meditations or contemplations on the word achintya, uh, that not everything is going to be able to be conceived or grasped or um, understood by the human mind, like that. <laughs> As a matter of fact, there are two verses... Right, exactly. There are two verses, two of my favorite verses in the, in the Bhagavad Gita is, I believe it's verses 21 and 25 in chapter 6, where, where there's reference to, you know, the intellect being stolen away by that which is beyond it, by that which transcends it. Uh, within the practice of yoga, yoga sevaya, this phrase is there, I recall. Uh, the service of of the you know the the totality the you know the um, the wholeness of life of of you know of reality like that. So anyway, I just wanted to you know offer a little a few words about that. It just kind of came to me to offer that. Thank you. Yeah, I think that uh, we identify largely with the monkey because there's the holding on and the grace, but the way in which both are also acceptable to us is the fact that as I said Krishna sometimes just gives his mercy and blesses everyone but 
but we're taught also not to not to live our lives as if that's the case. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. We make the effort. Beautiful. Okay. Yes. Thank okay. you. Mark. Thank you. Next question. Uh, there's a question that might be. I'm not totally clear on whether it's a follow up on this, but anyway, I'll ask it anyway. It is from Goranganam from uh, Britain. He says. Krishna says, quote, I am the gambling of cheese. He tells Arjun to his face at the start of the war that he, or Krishna, was the cause of his suffering. Duryodhan was the cheat. How can one see love there? I'm not sure I understand that question. Can you repeat it again? I'll try again. Okay, so Krishna says, I'm the gambling of the cheats. And then Krishna tells Arjun to his face at the start of the war that Krishna was the cause of his suffering. Duryodhan was the cheat. So basically Krishna is the gambling and then Duryodhan was the cheat. How can one see love? Krishna told Arjun that, that at the beginning of the war that what? That basically that Krishna was the cause of uh, Arjun's suffering because Krishna is the gambling that caused the war. So he, he's putting these two things together. Seems like, yeah. Saying, because in the 10th chapter, Krishna is saying of gambling, I am, of cheats, I am the gambler. Or of gambling, I'm the gambling I'm the cheater. Of, of the cheats or something like that. Of, of cheaters, I am, I'm gambling or something, right? Because Krishna has said that, and because Krishna has told Arjuna that Duryodhana is a cheater, is that right? No, I understand it, understood it the way that the the gambling match led to the war, right? Okay, but, okay, the gambling match led to the war. Yeah, and Krishna is gambling, so yeah, he's for Krishna caused the war. Therefore, right. Krishna caused the war. I'm not sure if this maybe Goranganam can pitch in. Therefore, how, therefore, how is there any love there? Well, we'll try to answer that question, and, and if we didn't understand it properly, Goranganam, you can. You can re-ask it, give clarification. We can see you. I can see you, but I can't hear you. I can't hear you. Can you hear me at all now? Maybe you're muted. Can't hear you. Can you do the uh, translation or interpretation, English and mute original audio at the bottom uh, bar? Um, Can you hear me now? Can't hear you, no. At the no. bottom of your screen, there's something that that says original audio interpretation, or it says English or Spanish. Or you if, you're on a, if you're on a phone, it looks different. <laughs> I'm not sure oh. what to do on the phone. Sorry. Technical support. Sorry, I'm we not very... We can't hear you. We cannot hear Sorry. you. We cannot hear you. Sorry. I can hear him. I can hear him. Perhaps I can mention what he says or something like that. Like okay, uh, okay, okay. Krishna says that he is the gambling of cheats, and Duryodhan is the cheat. Krishna says he's the gambling of cheats, and Duryodhana is the cheat. Yeah, and then. So you hit the three dots on the right and the bottom on the phone. And then you do the interpretation. Oh, sorry, I'm not very technical. So I guess basically we understood the question, huh? Yes. It's in the chat. 
It's in the chat, the question's in the chat. Well, Gary just read us the question. We're still trying to understand. But at any rate, uh, it seems to be that, well, uh, Krishna is, is, the, is, the, is the gambling amongst cheats, is it? Yeah. Yes. And, and, uh, and, and, and the gambling match caused the, what precipitated the war, right? And, and therefore Krishna caused the war. So where's the love of Krishna in that? Right? Well, I, I, I think that you, uh, we need to understand what Krishna's saying in the 10th chapter of the Gita when he says, among the largest trees in the world, I am the redwood. I'm extending. You know, I live in California. We have redwood trees there. Amongst bodies of water, I am the ocean. Amongst the immovable, I am the Himalayas. Um, I am the ability in man. I'm the taste in water. This is called vibhutis. Uh, these are these are what Krishna is saying in these, this context. Amongst cheats, I am gambling, or amongst gambling, I am cheats. For uh, he's pointing out very prominent features of different manifestations of nature or different functions, activities, and so forth, and identifying himself with them. Those things that are, um, that stand out, that are the power, um, in a, in a particular function. The, the, is he the gambling or is he the cheat? Amongst cheats, I am, I am gambling. Some are gambling. Gamblers, amongst gamblers, I am a cheat. I'm cheating. Hmm? So, I mean, that's a power amongst gamblers, how to cheat, you know, how to, I don't know, keep the cards up under the table or read the numbers or whatever they do. Um, it's, it's the, it's the, it's the, it's the magical kind of, you know, astounding, uh, feature that stands out, um, and, and Krishna's identifying himself with all such things that, that, that by their very nature cause us to be somewhat uh, displaced from the way in which we unconsciously proceed in the world. In other words, we proceed in the world unconsciously as if we're the center. Things are going around us. So there are powerful functions, uh, features of nature and so forth that displace us. We see the ocean. Well, I'm actually pretty small. We see the power in the, um, in the, you know, the, 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 the sports star, you know, just like it's attractive. He or she does this and, and accomplishes a, uh, extraordinary feats, breaks records and so on and so forth. And we're, we're awed by that. Uh, the, 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 the ability of the gambler to cheat and, and not get caught, uh, if you will. It's a, so these things that are kind of awe-inspiring, that catch our attention, is I'm these things. These are all uh, ways um, in which I am partially represented in the world. And 
many sense because only people take all of these things you take all these things together that are inspiring in the world that causes the world so the basis of rasa's chamatkar wonder i am rasa things in this world that cause wonder Think of them as, 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 as me. They're, they're partially manifestation of me. And if you take, it says at the end of the 10th chapter, all those things together, they are but a spark of my splendor. He's saying even the Mahavishnu, from which the whole world comes, is but a spark of my splendor. I'm the, I am, back to Gayatri's question, I am the cause of all causes. Sarvakarna Karnam, Krishna's too, Bhagavan Swayam. So you, you, if you look at what's taking, what's he, what's he doing there in the 10th chapter? And I don't think the question that you praise, you, that you raise arises. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two ways to look at the, at the whole picture. You look at it from Tattva, from Tattva, everything is Krishna. Everything is Krishna, even your Krishna. You're, you're one of his shaktis. You're one of his uh, parts and parcels. Uh, you're not separate from him, not independent. It's only Krishna. Now what? <laughs> Where's the love? Oh, by seeing that there's only Krishna, and then there's us too at the same, there's both at the same time. It's Jinti, Veda, Veda, right? Uh, yeah, so when we look at from the, from the, from the vague point of view, the difference point of view, then there's a possibility of interaction, love, and so on and so forth. So you're looking at a, at a, at a kind of a philosophical argument that Krishna's making in the 10th chapter, that of all powerful, extraordinary, uh, standout things in the world, those should be thought of as Manifestations of my partial manifestations of myself. I'm such, and then if you took all those things together, yeah, that that cause you to step back and go, oh my God, oh wow, look at that. Did you see that? That's that's nothing. That's a spark only of my splendor. So to be saying that, and then uh, we, we, we then we don't want to t- transport that into the leela and say Krishna's a cheater. Therefore, Krishna cheated. Cheated because our, our, your Dory don't cheated. Therefore the war started. Therefore we must not love our June. Or, or, or he caused, he caused the war, something like that. Well, if you, if, cause if you want to maintain the same train of thought, he caused the war. He is the war. There's nobody else. <laughs> There's nothing to argue about. There's nobody to be upset with. He does what he does. We are only, you know, um, uh, aspects of his dream. So, try that on his eyes. All right, what else? Okay, the next question is from Krishna Kanaya. And by the way, this is the last question, so if anybody has a question, please let me know. Krishna Kanaya says, Haribol, Pranam, dear Guru Maharaj. In a broad university setting, which kind of research would you find interesting relating to India and our Vaishnava lineage? I always thought it peculiar how the influx of pilgrims changes the cultural, cultural and commercial landscape of Vrindavan. Is this worth writing a thesis about, in your opinion? 
or do you have other more general points of interest for students? Thank you. Well, I mean, there, there's any number of them, I suppose, that um, um, could be a central theme or focus of a, of a thesis. The one in which you raise does not sound particularly appealing to me. Um, how the influx or the ingress of pilgrims affects the landscape of Vrindavan. Um, of course, about that, I would say, is it the fault of the pilgrims, many pilgrims wanting to go there? Mm-hmm. Um, much of which inspiration for us come from our Sampradaya and from Prabhupada in particular, putting it on the map in the modern world. So we blame Prabhupada. I mean, because there's too many pilgrims for the infrastructure of Vrindavan, right? So the problem is that the government doesn't, doesn't, um, um, fund the restoration of the upgrading of the infrastructure of Vrindavan is suitable uh, way to accommodate the enthusiasm for uh, going there on a theological basis. But but aside from that, um, so let me get it right. The question is, I'm in a university. I want to do a, a, a thesis on Indian, on India. India? Indian studies? India or the our Vaishnav <coughs> excuse me, Vaishnav lineage. <coughs> Vaishnav lineage. Um, I mean my interests in that regard, um, gee, I don't know uh what I would uh I'd write a thesis on Sakirasa, that's one <laughs> on this aspect, uh which I've done in a sense. Which uh, is 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 a f- aspect of the tradition that has been obscured over over centuries, and so we brought it out and, and demonstrated its its uh, its its place and so forth as a service to the sampradaya. Um, um, but um, you know, you could write on the nature of consciousness, which is an interesting topic. In the, in, in, in the point of view of, of Gaudi Vedanta, um, I, that, I would find that interesting. For example, you know, the idea that consciousness is, has no, no efficacy, no role in the world, which was the thinking during, um, classical Newtonian physics until Einstein came, kind of turned the table upside down with a view into the subatomic world and uh, observation the observer has you know some some role to play and this is given an inroad in the modern west if you will an opening for eastern philosophy to come in and give their interpretations of the quantum you know implications um and so on and so forth um which is largely that not only is consciousness efficacious, um, but it's fundamental. Um, and so, believe me, the world is going in that direction. This physicalist, um, naturalist, atheist perspective 
it has absolutely no future. It has no future. It has no future. It's crumbling as we as we speak about it right now. If you if you if you, if you, if you know know the field, so to speak. Um, and as I've often said, with regard to, to Christianity in the West, Christianity was what did I say? Born born out of science. It was theistic. Then it became agnostic in the deistic perspective. Now, in its, in its, in its youth, then in its adolescence, it became atheistic in the present time. But if it wants not Christianity, what am I saying? Science. Science. Science was born as a Christian, right? Modern science was born as a Christian. Then in its uh, youth, it became a, 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 a somewhat agnostic. Then in its, then in its adulthood, it's become an atheist. But if it wants to be, Old, living to old age, it has to become a mystic. So this meaning of science and mysticism, um, you know, science and magic, they're the same thing. It's just a question of uncovering the subtle technology that causes something to happen that, that you didn't know about, right? So um, this is the direction that the mind of the world if you will, is, 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 is going in. And we're just on the, the, the beginning of a paradigm shift. And as that, the first mover, if you will, in this paradigm shift is to, in terms of answering the questions as to the nature of consciousness when it becomes apparent that consciousness is just not a product of the brain. It can't be um, uh, reduced to just a physical uh, function or force, uh, it's 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 when this as as the philosophical and scientific community bumps into the wall of this over and over again as they as they are and they can't explain they can't reduce consciousness to matter then. He, they're waiting in the wings, you know, as this Eastern philosophy come and say, yeah, we say, we were saying this all along, you know, so much for your Western exceptionalism, you know, European American exceptionalism, you're better than everybody else. You got it all backwards. You got it all wrong. You, you think that the, the, the outer world, the physical world is the only thing. And we say it's an illusion. Now the scientists are saying it's an illusion. Uh, a number of them. It's an illusion. So, so waiting in the wings has been this, this Eastern philosophy is there. It's not a pushy kind of a, you know, perspective. We know, <laughs> and you'll get to it in time. So, but the subtlety of Eastern philosophy, it, um, it has, it's come in to start to fill the gap, right? So the first mover in this regard, this is a way to Buddhism, then a way to uh, without the religious baggage, and like I said the other week, you don't have to believe. You just, I am consciousness. I am Brahman. You don't have to believe, but you are. You know that you are. Whereas God, you don't have to believe. I already, you know, addressed that that the fault in that argument last week. But my point is that as this Eastern philosophy 
comes to to fill in and give give start to give rational philosophically based uh, uh, answers as to the nature of consciousness, then there's this meeting ground where in naturalism, the physicalism, there's no self. The self is an illusion, right? So the Advaita says the self is an illusion. Hey, we're on the same page. The self is an illusion. No self, no self. So what you start hearing is no self, no self, no self, no self. And it resonates, right? So Gaudiya Vedanta comes in and says, no, there is a self. (laughs) They say, there is no self, not as the materialists say, and there is no self as the Advaitins say, but there is a self at the same time. From their no self, there is a self. In other words, the conventional ego that says I'm American or Indian or man or woman, that's false. Advaita says that, and so does materialism. Of course, Advaita says that self is false, but there's a one self, one self. It's only falsely appearing as this different individual selves. So that's its difference from materialism, because materialism says there's no self, period. So Advaita says there's no individual self, the conventional self. You couldn't find it because it doesn't really exist. There's one self, consciousness, and you can't say that much about it because it's beyond thought, beyond word. But, you know, they say a lot of things about what it's not and so forth. And so there's a slight, you know, progression, if you will, right? Considerable progression. But we come in and say, no, there is a self. It's not the conventional self. We also say that's all. That's false. It's illusory. It has to be deconstructed entirely, right? Um, and and so this would, would interest me academically. And then the, 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 the nature then of the uh, self within Vaishnavism that kind of steps on the head of the way to no self and makes for a doctrine, a Vedanta, a perspective on reality and the nature of being in which love is central. Mm-hmm. Because love require is 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 kind of reciprocal uh, dealings, right? Dynamic one. If you and I are one, then you and I are we. We don't do away with one another. You don't disappear. I don't disappear. But we. It's a dynamic one. You're still there. I'm still there. I've taken your heart for mine. You've taken your heart for yours. That's all. So this is a very interesting now argument, right? And you're going, you're going deeper into the, the nature of consciousness. And this is Gaudi Vaishnavism's, uh, Vaishnavism in general is its, its focus, but Gaudi Vaishnavism in particular really takes it to extreme. Um, so the consciousness of consciousness is, is love, basically. Consciousness of consciousness. 
Krishna is consciousness. What is consciousness? His consciousness is of Radha. She is love. So, what is the consciousness of consciousness? That's our that's our question. We're like way out there, you know, ahead of the pack, so to speak. We've already turned the corner here. So that's an interesting argument academically to start to bring in, but it's it's very heady. It's very heady. Um, but there are many others. I, I was recently very inspired by an article. I, I read a book um, put together by a godbrother of mine. He's an academic. It's called Shimad Bhagavatam something, a bunch of essays, different essays, by different scholars. Many of them are devotees who became scholars. And um, I tend to like the philosophical articles, but the one I liked, it was not a philosophical article. I liked the most. It was written by a lady. I don't know where she's from, but um, it was all about the, uh, the Bhagavatam recitals. Bhagavatam recitals. Um, this tradition of reciting the Bhagavatam, uh, like the Goswami families, the Brahmins, Vaishnavas, Gaudias, and, and, they, and their sons, and the, and the next son, and the next son, and now the daughters, too, uh, being trained in the Bhagavatam to be speakers of the Bhagavatam, the professional speakers of the Bhagavatam. Now, that has a pejorative connotation that Prabhupada would emphasize professional speakers. Uh, they speak the Bhagavatam and then they smoke BDs and, you know, do all kinds of things and make money. But then there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a spectrum there within the professional speakers, if you will, you know. The tradition comes from Sukadeva, which obviously it's not his profession. And he's not making any money out of it. Uh, but um, um, within the spectrum, some are much more noble, better. And they, you know, they're Brahmins, and Brahmins are, according to the Varnashram, supposed to be able to be, supposed to be maintained by the society for their contribution. So they speak the Bhagavatam, and they're, and they're materially maintained from that, from donations. So it's a respectable uh, position. And, um, and, some, and so... This this tradition goes on, uh, going on in India in Vrindavan today, and and there's even a school. I mean, it's a school where you you go and you learn the Bhagavatam, and they come out of the school and they know every single verse and every single word where how many where that word is used in the Bhagavatam, every single place and how it's used. It's an amazing like uh, Bhagavatam indoctrination. And uh, and they put their you know father put their son in the school and of course he knows it's, it's of course the course is probably given in Hindi and then everyone learns learns learn Sanskrit and they can just talk forever on the Bhagavatam and of course they know they they got all the commentaries memorized <laughs> and it's just I was so inspired by reading I just wanted to fly off and join the school at 75 years old, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, so that's a, that's a lighter topic, if you will, and the heavier one I presented, but to like, look at that, the Bhagavad, you could read that article. Um, Krishna Chetra, Krishna Chetra is the, uh, godbrother of mine who put together, put together the book. Um, anyway, I would I would like to do a thesis on that the Bhagavata Bhagavat recital and so forth and you show the tradition from from you know 
Sukadev Goswami and and so on and so forth. So the show the downside of the professional recitals and the spectrum and the, and and, uh, and you bring to light the um, you know the significance of the Bhagavatam. It, it was a good book because different essays were talking about different ways, different aspects of the Bhagavatam and its importance and significance. And he also did Krishna Chaitra. You can look it on YouTube. There's a I don't know the name of it now. I can't say, but I watched it. It was a, a series, a documentary. He had formed a, 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 whatever, a, uh, session or something and, and invited different, uh, scholars and devotees, some of them, to a conference, um, did it somewhere in South India. And it was all about the Bhagavatam and they gave their lectures and so forth. And so, he shows parts of the lectures and he interviews them on the um, on the in the documentary, and it's very very nice, uh, nicely done, and it really this is another thing that it, going forward, right, in 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 the world, Bhagavatam has to, has to, will come to light more and more what it is as a book. I mean, it's it's shameful that the that, that, that we haven't done enough to make its virtues known uh, that would make the Bible look like a footnote. Mm-hmm. The Bible look like a footnote to the Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to re- kind of re- reverse the, uh, the whatever the, the order there. <laughs> uh, so, so much, so rich. Uh, the Bhagavatam, my first love amongst the Gaudiya texts, the Bhagavatam. So um, that would be something along those lines. The Bhagavad Purana, its place um, <clears throat> in the world today, where 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 it should be, where it comes from, why it is, what we say it is, and so forth. We're very hard of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So. Uh, that was the last question and we're out of time so nice to be with all of you next week I'll be in Madhavan we should be broadcasting from there I hope to see you then Gaur Bhaktivrinda Ki Jai Gaur Premanande Sagar Maharaj Ki Jai don't forget to wear your tea lock Haribo Haribo